0: So it doesn't take long for us to realize as we think about fear, we all of a sudden see like it's everywhere. <clears throat> it's everywhere in us, it's everywhere in others, it's everywhere in our culture, in our history, and because of that, because of how good the book of Psalms is, it's in the Psalms, everywhere in the Psalms. Uh, Luke was sharing his sermon with me, and I'm like, oh, that's exactly what I was going to share about Psalm 23. Fear is a common theme in the Psalms, and, and for, for me, as I'm looking at Psalm 23, which is arguably the most popular and impactful psalm for the life of the church, Uh, I I think why it's so popular is because it beautifully talks about fear, the most maybe relatable and common emotion we can name. And for me, as I was differentiating my sermon, hopefully from Luke's, and hopefully you hear repeated themes because we just need to be reminded of the same truths over, but in Psalm 23, I saw more about worry or anxiety and so you think about fear, fear's maybe, maybe the state of being afraid, but worry is more like the anticipation, that crippling thing that you feel when you're, you're scared something's going to happen in the future. So we're gonna talk about worry and anxiety, not just fear. If you remember back to when we were sharing our vision uh, for why we planted a church, we recognized through research that we live in the most anxious generation ever. So we thought, why would, you know, what's our why? Why would we start another church? Well, we realized with the creativity and the ability of a church plant, because we're like ninjas. Like I always shared with like churches, a, sh- a church is like a ship and it moves slowly as it should because it's grounded and it's anchored. But like church plants are like ninjas. Like we get off the ship and we like go figure things out and we do co um, <clears> op, <throat> what are those words? Uh, covert operations. I don't know. I just think of church plants as ninjas. We're limber, we're, we're quick, we can be creative. Um, and for us, we said, why? And we realized anxiety is a huge issue. And so what aspect of the gospel uh, do we want to highlight or think about when we're doing a church plant? And we realized that a biggest, the, one of the biggest cultural needs of the gospel that we heard from people because of this anxiety was peace. But we realized, hey, like this is a big deal, and the church is struggling to maybe modify or, or or accommodate for how weirdly anxious this next generation this new generation is, our current generation is. So something that got us excited about was how do we preach and share and be a gospel of peace to an anxious generation? We believe with conviction that this was worth doing because there's something so beautiful in the gospel, that there's something so good and peaceful about the person and presence of Jesus. And so we did the hard thing of leaving our established communities and and learning more and starting from scratch to say, hey, this is going to be a place where we have a focus of of showing the peace of Jesus in this anxious generation. And our hope in that is that the people that we're a part of and, and even us internally, that we would experience more freedom from that fear that we're plagued from and that our friends and peers and family members are. And here's, here's the thing that, as I've, as I've been researching. We're not just the most anxious generation. There's something unique about us in our anxiety. It's not that we're just worried and anxious, but another factor in why our anxiety is so hard is that we are also the loneliest generation. I'm gonna make, these are big claims. Hot takes coming at you. Uh, they're finding that, there's, there's theory, I was listening to a recent podcast, that they, they were looking at... Um, why mental health is so uh, such a big issue right now is that uh, at the same time of the digital age where our social connections uh, are, let me rephrase this, at the same time that we're, we have tons of information and we're hyper aware of all the things that could go wrong and have gone wrong and are going wrong, this brings our anxiety. At that same time, we have the information that is our like stimulus for anxiety. At the same time, we're also more disconnected from relationships we've ever been. So digitalization is giving us the stimulus, and it's also taking us away from real human connection, from actually knowing how to deal with those fears. Does that make sense? And so it's double trouble. We're we're the most anxious because of our awareness, but we're also lonely. We don't have the benefits of real community for that support that we need. So this podcaster was saying, hey, uh, this is a problem. Um, Even though we celebrate in the information age, that we are finding out all about the corruption and the injustices of institutions. We're finding out like, hey, this thing about my family that I grew up in, that's not okay. I need to get away from that. I need to be set free from that. I need to be in a healthy, safer safer place. Or that thing about the church that they've done wrong or said or done to hurt people. I need to get away from that. Because I know this information, I'm now gonna retreat. I'm gonna be isolated. I'm gonna be away from the oppression, whatever we label the wrong things about institutions. We do this with the government, right? Certain people get elected on this thing. Like the government is corrupt. We don't trust them. And what, what happens, this podcaster was saying, and he, I kind of apologize for being a part of this, he said, even though people are liberated from the injustice, the oppression, the, you know, the, the groupthink of communities, even though they're set, they're, they're set free from that, he said the net loss of being away from community Uh, He said, the loss of being away from community is maybe even worse than being a part of imperfect institutions. Does that make sense? So our information on institutions, the church, our families, the government, social groups, has led us to get away from them, but in getting away from them, we're losing out on our ability to know how to interpret that which we're afraid of. His theory was that this is what, this is a huge part of why our generation is so psychologically unstable that throughout all of history, we've always had a village, a community, a family to interpret the world and support us through our anxieties. And so now we're seeing the highest level of suicide rates, ideation and depression. And I don't have to convince you guys of this. A lot of, a lot of people that, that go to a church, look for a church, they're experiencing crippling anxiety. Many of you in this room maybe have struggled with, with worry, fear, and anxiety. And that's actually why you showed up at City Church because you felt like hey this is a place of peace a place where I can bring that you realize how lonely it is so today we're gonna we're going to dive into that just a little bit because this is a sermonette remember uh, we're going to dive into uh, what taking our worry to God looks like and getting a new perspective in Psalm 23 so pull pull up Psalm 23 and we're going to bring our worry and our fear uh, what we've been doing is you, as you as you uh, get that ready I'll just share it. What we've been in is a series uh, called Real and Whole Cells where we look at uh, chapters of the book of Psalms and we realize we get to bring all of our emotions to God and, and get our perspective changed, our reality changed by that outlet. Not, not venting it out into other people and using people as crutches, not internalizing it and it causing hurt and pain and uh, repression inside, but we're getting it out and we're getting it out to God. And So we're going to look at worry. How do we what do we do with our worry? How do we connect with God? and How do we have victory over it? So pull that up and uh, let me just pray for us. God, I pray that uh, we would see you as our shepherd and that we, through your word and through community, would know what to do with our worry. That you would show us who you are, show us how good you are, show us the reasons that we can choose not to be afraid. We don't have to convince ourselves illogically of being happy because that's that's good to do, but that we would know who you are, and because of it, that would calm our souls from worry. Amen. All right, Psalm 23. We sang about it. Let me just read this in the ESV. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Another translation says, I shall not worry. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, or as another translation says, only goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's word. So we approach this text with a, what do we do with our worry? And right from the first line, we see that David is narrowing down on this very thing. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not worry, I shall not want More accurately, what he's saying is he's not shooting himself into right behavior. I shall not want is not saying I should not want. We have to know that. When we read that word shall, it's not should. Shall is this this intentional from the inside out, willfully choosing to not worry. So it's not shaming ourselves into being good, not worrying people. It's a more resolved, passionate saying, I will not. I will not worry. I will not have want It's not mustering up a fight against it. It's this definite statement saying, I don't need to worry. The Lord is my shepherd. If you're anything like me and you've you've thought about your your worry and your fear, I look at this and I struggle with anxiety. I've shared that before. I'm like, okay, how did he get there? How did he get to the place of saying, I don't need to worry? So where does David get his peace? It stated right before. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And then he details it in the rest of the psalm. And tonight I just want to look at the first three verses. How did he get that peace? What did he do? What is it in this psalm that shows us the path towards that kind of resolve to say, I don't need to worry. And I think David's advice, and I and I say this and I title this just so you can remember it. I think if David was here, he would tongue in cheek say, you know, all you need to do is talk to yourself. So that's my first point, or one of my points. I, I don't know switching things up, but he's, he's talking to himself. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me, he's talking to himself. He leads me in paths of righteousness. In poetry, we see this happen. He's writing to himself, he's the person he's talking to. And so I'm just saying, as, as, a, as, a, as a lover of the Psalms, as a fellow uh, Jesus follower with you guys, it's clear to me that even though it sounds weird or looks weird, David's doing something very intentional about talking to himself and you may think this is silly but think about it like this you know we're complex beings we're made in God's image God is three persons but yet he's he's one God right he's one being I think likewise this is conjecture this is my own opinion I think we're kind of like that too I think we're one being, but we have different aspects of our being. We have our mind, our body, our emotions, and we have our spirit. And, and there's different theories in how those all interact, but we're complex, right? And so I think sometimes in the face of worry, we need to like, have one part of ourself talk to another part of ourself. So in the case of worry, our minds need to talk to our hearts. And it's not, I mean, to be clear, it's not that you just talk to yourself like some people will go crazy talking to themselves. Uh, it's, it's about what you're actually telling yourself. Read, reading verses one and three, David's telling himself something very specific. His mind is telling his heart something. Or better, better put, David's reminding his heart. What? The Lord is my shepherd. So if you're worried, there's a sense that, like David, we need to, we need to tell ourselves What's real? And I think the biggest thing that David's doing is he's talking to himself and he's reminding himself who God actually is. So if you struggle with worry, and I know that's everybody, that's the first step David shows. Talk to yourself, tell yourself who God is. Remind yourself who God is, that he's our shepherd. We believe so many lies about God. I believe 100% that all of our pain and disappointment and most of our sin, if not all, comes from believing lies about who God is. And as I'm reading this and thinking about my own worry, uh, I, the, the, the lies that I'm reminded of that I believe are kind of the contrast to God as a shepherd. My default is I believe God is, is distant and that he's disappointed. I know that I preach the good news uh, often but my actions and my worry shows that i actually believe most of the time that god's distant and he's disappointed so in believing this lie just like the garden of eden adam and eve being told lies about character about god's character when we believe those lies just like them it pushes us away from his presence instead of towards him so david is is he's talking to himself but he's reminding himself in the midst of that temptation that worry this is who god actually is he's my shepherd so I don't know what David's going through. We have no context. But he brings up this imagery of a shepherd. And, and I'm thinking, why a shepherd? Of all the words and metaphors we have in Scripture and imagery that would be helpful in our worry, David chooses to name God as a shepherd. And I think David did this because he himself was a shepherd. He was taking his experience, and he understood firsthand the unique character of, of a good shepherd, and raising and moving and taking care of sheep. One of the lies that, that I believe that God as shepherd confronts in my heart is that God is not a shepherd, but he's a slave master. And I think that's a lie that David's exposing here when he uses um, this imagery of a shepherd. The lie I think that we, a lot of us believe is that God expects a lot from us. For me, it's I got to work my butt off. I got to keep marching on as God's soldier. These are song lyrics. I got to do good things. I got to do all the right things all the time. Like for me, back in high school and college, I got to wake up every morning and I got to read the word a certain amount and I got to eat the right food at the right time to maximize my energy and I'm listening to the right podcast so I can, you know, currently, so I can lead my church in the right way and lead my staff and I want to lead my kids in the right way and keep our church on the right path. And physically, I'm doing the right workout, <laughs> right? And these are all good things, right? They're all good things. And somehow we believe this lie that God is secretly uh, disappointed. And so even in the good things, where there's this anxiety, this worry, are we doing it all the right way? Some people are drawn to church planning because of this ideal of like, we're gonna do church the right way. We're gonna be in discipleship groups doing it the right way. And we're gonna be in the right missional community. As a pastor, am I asking all the right questions to guests? Am I giving all the right answers? Am I living my life the right way? These are the things that I worry about. We put this pressure on ourselves. We add to the Word of God. We add to God's character that He's good, but you know He's also He's expecting a lot. And like I said before, we have so much information now on what's right and better. We have so much research. To live our best life now for our personality and our strengths. So now we know, when you know, you feel like you're more responsible. So now we got to fight for the right causes and live the right life and, and meet the right spouse at the right age and get the right house. So we make the right amount of money so that we're on the right path. Does anyone relate to this? Like this is some of my, as I'm thinking about this, this is my inner dialogue. And for me, like, I'm constantly measuring. Is my progress, like, am I, am I making the right progress? And then I compare myself to other people or other pastors or my neighbors who have better grasp. <laughs> like, that's seriously real in my head. And it's like I add to God's narrative that really, like, I've got to measure up. And all this fear leads us to fatigue and all these standards and expectations, written and unwritten, conscious, subconscious, it leads to this burnout. Worry leads us to fatigue. So David's imagery of a shepherd speaks to that worry, not only to who God is and his character, but how he leads us. Verse 2, it says, he makes me lie down. In green pastures, it's confronting this slave master God. It's giving us this gracious God who gives us space and rest. He leads me beside still waters. Other translations say resting waters, waters that don't move. He restores my soul. All this is uh, contradictory of that slave master God. David is showing us an insight to finding peace when worry arises. We have to talk to ourselves and we say, this is who God is. This is how our God leads he leads us to rest. He leads us in rest. He leads us out of rest. And we know that in that rest, we, verse 3 says, we're in the right path. And so if we're worried about, am I, am I doing the right thing? Am I, am, I, am I in the right place at the right time for my age? But the, what, it, what it shows us here is like, here, we're in the right place. We're in the right progress when we're in God. He doesn't care. That's the right path when we're resting in him. That's the point of his pursuit of us. And that's when the worry dissipates. So no matter if you're married uh, or not married, employed or not employed, or employed in a job that doesn't feel like meaningful, no matter where you're at in your retirement, if you don't even know what that is, or if you should have one, like no matter what, the right path is when you see his plan and expectation for your life is not some prescripted American dream, but one that you operate out of rest in relationship with him. I kept reading this. I said, man, he's so good. He's so good that verse two says he makes you rest. He makes you lie down. Where you get to see in nature this, this imagery of still water where you get to just stop moving and stop worrying and you see this visual aid of this still water and he just helps us center ourselves on, on how he works and we look at the still water, we look at the flowers like Jesus said, look at the lilies and he says, all these things, do they worry? Do the birds worry? No, so it is with our father in heaven with us. So David's giving us this aid. This is who God is. He's not a slave master. He's a shepherd. He gives us space, and he gives us grace, and he makes us lie down. This is good news. And this is the right path, resting in him, seeing him as shepherd. And for me, I'm like writing this sermon today, and I'm Oh, what about this, what about this, what about that? And I thought about, what about the rules and what about living a holy life and aren't we supposed to fear God and glorify him in all that we do so that on judgment day, we feel like we've earned enough by our good things we've done and the pace we kept for him to finally say, well done, good and faithful servant. A lot of us Christians say with our mouth that we don't believe in a works-based salvation, but in the anxiety pace of our life shows that we believe That is how we get saved. That is how we earn delight and favor and acceptance by God. Our anxiety shows us that we believe in works salvation. We believe if we keep the right behavior that that's what keeps our world running. That that's what keeps our okayness with God running. And I I know this because I'm a recovering legalist. Sharing a Harry Potter illustration was a big step for me. (laughs) I was not... For Harry Potter growing up. I was in a culture in Christianity that said that was demonic and sinful. And so just sharing it was, seriously, it was part of like a big step. I'm currently watching the movies. I don't have patience for reading. And I'm confronting this purity culture I grew up in that said, that, that even though I knew God loved me, that you know what, like uh, I better be reading the right things, I better never wanna even think about drinking and smoking and if I'm, if I'm gonna pursue a girl, man, it's gotta be like for marriage because those are thoughts you should have when you're 15. <laughs> and so I grew up in this works-based, like I knew God loved me, but the, the, we call it purity culture where you're so anxious that if you do A, B, and C, that even though like God loves you, if you do these things you'll be rewarded with a good marriage, happy marriage. If you do all the right things, if you don't have sex, if you don't smoke, if you don't do these things, God's going to bless you. And and I'm not saying there are not consequences to living outside of what is good and whole and healthy. I'm saying we were so anxious about the, the fear of that and the shame of that, that we didn't even know how to think about God and ourselves and our sex drives. We didn't know that that was even good because the whole time we were told it's bad and Harry Potter. It's brilliant literature, I've been told. <laughs> but I avoided it cuz I was afraid that I was going to be turned onto witchcraft. And so we lace our Christianity with fear and worry. But God is a shepherd. He's not waiting to bonk us on the head. His rod and his staff comfort us. I'm getting off script. But like, it's for comfort. It's not to control us. It's to teach us to, to know who he is and to know how to be ourselves. To not see everything with shame and out of fear behave rightly. But to see our drives and our needs and our relationships as good. So just think about it. I just challenge you with that. You're, you're going to, you know, there's going to be people probably email me like, what do you what do you mean? We're not supposed to like strive to be, you know, yes, we are. But out of love and out of joy and out of appreciation for God, that inspires the works that he wants. He doesn't want us out of shame and shoulds to, to be anxiously working for him. You wouldn't want that for your kids. You want them to know that you love them and for them to obey you and to do the right things because they know that you care for them and that that they know that you ask and and command these things for their own well-being, not because you're trying to control them. So this is who God is. He's not a slave master. He's a shepherd, and he leads us in a way of rest. So if there's any hint or seed of works-based Salvation or theology in your heart—that's what leads you to anxiety and these expectations. Instead of um, explaining myself anymore, I just want to point us to Jesus. This last five minutes, I promise. This isn't made up. This isn't some grace-only gospel that I'm just sharing. Everything I shared, we have confirmed. And Jesus. There's a lot we don't know about God. There's a lot we don't know about. A lot of things theologically. But Jesus clears up a lot of things. And he clears up the things that I believe cause us to be anxious about God. First of all, Jesus is Lord of the, of the Sabbath. People are challenging him on Sabbath, what not to do, what to do on this day of rest. And they're missing the whole point. And Jesus is like, hey, you're missing it. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And in that theological and like existential moment, Jesus is declaring like, hey, I am your rest. There's no more perfect path of morality you need to be on. I am that bridge And so when God says over Jesus, as he emerges from the Jordan before he starts his ministry, he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased because we are in Christ. We are now given that same statement eternally. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased forever. We don't have to worry. We don't have to think in the back of my mind. Am I doing good enough? Am I on the right path and the right progress? Am I holy enough? Do I read the right books? We avoid the other ones? All these morality, workspace stuff gets worked out when we see that Jesus is our Sabbath. He's our rest. He's the one that takes us away from that anxiety thinking and we get our identity as sons and daughters in him in whom God is well pleased. Also, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. He's validating what David said. He's like, hey, this thing that David said, this is true about God. I am the good shepherd who says instead of enslaving his people, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep and he accomplishes us a restful relationship with God. The laws, the rules are fulfilled. He's accomplished us security from death, the the what-ifs that lead us into anxiety. So even though through the valley of shadow of death, we can say we will fear no evil because Jesus is our shepherd. And Jesus, like verse 5, says, in the presence of our enemies, of our souls, when worry comes, when we're in the presence of that worry, when fear comes, Jesus provides a feast. He hosts a place of hospitality for us when we feel threatened. We see this in the communion liturgy, the night he was betrayed, right? Jesus takes the bread, he says, This is my body. He's feeding us. All this imagery, all this teaching, all the titles that he brings to convey this message, I am your rest. You don't have to worry. And so we can say confidently that God indeed loves us unconditionally. There's no ands. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us. Jesus brought heaven down. And so in that, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We don't have to worry about our standing and level of delight with God. Jesus accomplished that this is the secret that I think David got. Before Jesus even came, this is the the secret that I believe David understood is that he saw the heart of God. The steadfast love of God. So just as David is pointing to in the future this Messiah that would come, that God is a shepherd, and just as Jesus fully revealed who God is as a shepherd, that's the hope, that's the peace that we get to come from, from this, from this psalm. It's something that we deeply need, that, we, that we, can, as we confess we are so deeply afraid of God. We're afraid of failure, we're afraid of each other. We're afraid of ourselves and what we're capable of. And all these fears are confronted and healed in Jesus because Jesus is our shepherd. And I, I, as I've been walking through my own battle with anxiety, I'm realizing how much it's laced in my inner dialogue. And now I'm realizing that as I'm being set free from my anxiety and, and we're being a community that sees it in each other and calls it out and, and shares the gospel, I'm realizing now my ability to be a witness is so much more authentic. Now I'm free to love my neighbor in my network or serve a need in a community freer at least from the anxiety of of when we're worried when we're doing outreach and witnessing and sharing the gospel it doesn't work we have google now we can't just threaten people they're gonna go to hell and expect them to come to church like people have questions and they realize fear isn't really like a great way to start a relationship and so if we're anxious about the way we talk about god like it comes across as so ineffective and unfruitful. But as we know in in the peace that God is the one who saves, as we are being set free from that fear, we can fearlessly and anxious, free share without any expectation with people. And that's contagious, that's attractive, that's transformative, that's what every soul and human heart is longing for, to know that that there is a God and in him we can rest. So as you're thinking about you know, maybe this summer you're fatigued from, from like doing outreach and service and maybe this spring was the most outreach you've ever done or most church stuff you've ever done in your missional community and maybe you're just feeling tired and fatigued now and say, is any of it coming? Is any of that fatigue coming from believing that mission is the gospel? From believing that service is the gospel or outreach is the gospel or giving is the gospel? Is any of that coming from that? Because if it is, that is robbing you from any joy, energy, fruit. Mission is not the gospel. Mission flows out of the peace of the gospel. Without that, we can't sustain it. So this summer, our goal and the rest of this, this month, our goal is to simply enjoy God and each other. And so enjoy this attribute of God. He's a shepherd. He makes us rest. He brings us by calm waters so that we can see who he is and see that we are okay. Let's pray. God, I pray that uh, as we think about this scripture, as we think about Harry Potter, as we think about our our boggarts, those things we're afraid of, the standards and expectations that cause us to, to overwork and to overthink and to overanalyze and to separate ourselves from you, from each other, from from even ourselves from knowing who we are. Pray you would uproot that worry, you'd confront it, that you'd show us who you really are. That We would not see the world as this thing that we have to conquer and do everything right in because we're afraid of you, because we think you're a slave master. Help us embrace the nature of who you are as a shepherd and that you love us so much that you don't ask us to rest, you make us rest. You design our bodies to not even be able to function when we overwork, to, to shut down so that we could know who you really are, To so we could just sit down and relax and see that Jesus, you are Lord of the Sabbath and in you and through you, we have rest for our souls and out of that rest, we can fulfill those things we feel called to do, the good that you've called us into and invite us into. So whatever that worry is, career, spouse, Even in mission, are we doing enough? Are we witnessing enough? Are we loving enough? God, just help us check that at the cross. Help us find our rest in you and our measuring stick that it would be broken and we'd be set free from worry. Amen.